listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Welcome back to Scored to Death, the podcast, the official companion podcast to the book Scored to Death, conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. My name is Jay Blake Fischera, and the book is available from Selman James Press. It features 14 in-depth interviews with renowned film music composers that have made significant contributions to horror and have worked with some of the genre's greatest filmmakers. It is available on Amazon and from other book retailers. The goal of both the book and this podcast is to explore the craft of film scoring and celebrate the amazing composers that do it. This is part two of a fascinating in-depth conversation with Barry Dvorzon, a talented songwriter, music producer, and composer whose amazing career dates back to the 1950s. In part one, we discussed his early songwriting career, his scoring work on the films Bless the Beasts and Children, John Milius's Dillinger, Walter Hill's Hard Times, and his iconic television themes for SWAT and The Young and the Restless, as well as his experience working with James Brown and Larry Cohen on Black Caesar. In this episode, Barry and I dive deep into his work on such cult classics as Walter Hill's The Warriors, Steve Decker's Night of the Creeps, and William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist Three. Barry is a fantastic storyteller and a wealth of information. I couldn't be more excited to have him on the show if you haven't checked out part one yet, I highly recommend it. But for now, we've got a lot to get to, so let's get started. I would love to jump into The Warriors. Because it's a score and a film that I absolutely love. And what I find interesting is, though... The Warriors has kind of the device in it of the DJ playing songs throughout the film. So those songs take up a lot of time. The truth is your score, there isn't a whole lot of it. And I find it fascinating to watch it kind of in preparation to talk to you to see like when it's in there, obviously it works better than anything could. But the amount of time where there's no music in the Warriors is also just as important and outstanding. So before we start talking about the actual music, how important do you think silence and lack of music in a film or a television show is? You know, sometimes walking down a dark alley suspense or a particularly violent scene. See, if you're walking down an alley, sometimes no music is a lot scarier. Yeah than putting music behind that dark alley. On the other hand, if you have a, an extremely violent scene and you want to take the edge off it, you'll add music to it. Without music, it's a little scarier. Uh, in other words, in, in, in The Warriors, they had that baseball bat scene in the park. Yeah, the actual fight scene. Yeah. And uh, at the time, now, of course, times change, but at the time, the producer felt that was more violent than he wanted to be. And uh, so normally I, I wouldn't have scored it. He requested that I score it. 
take the edge off that violence. Mm -hmm. Because when you hear music against those scenes, then you're reminded that it's a movie. If you don't, and you're hearing baseball bats make contact with flesh and bone, it's much more uh, frightening. Yeah. But I've always been a minimalist. I, I've always believed, you know, let a film breathe. Let the people do it and don't keep feeling. And then if you do that, if you use restraint, then when you do come in with music, it means something. And in The Warriors, you know, we had a lot of songs. So it was a DJ, you know, kind of weaving the tail, playing the songs. And so I didn't want to overdo it with the music, you know? Yeah. And so I, I kept it sparse. But I just said, you know what I'm going to try to do? Something at that time that had never been done. I, I'm not just going to use a, a rock and roll main title. I'm going to try to score this picture with rock and roll. And the synthesizers, you see, the, the, the script, the picture, was kind of a surreal trip to, through New York, you know, with the, the baseball furies and all this. So the director, Walter Hill, wanted it to have a surreal quality. So that's where I brought in the synthesizers. And synthesizers at the time were just, you know, they weren't where they are today, for sure. You didn't have the choices that you have today. So that's where I brought in the synthesizers and rock and roll and said, that should play a New York gang uh, trying to make its way through New York. And I just uh, try to use the music where it was only really necessary and stay out of the rest of it. It seemed to work. When uh, you meet with Walter Hill to talk about the film, do you recall like what those initial uh, discussions were and why, you know, what about it made you want to do kind of rock and roll? You just kind of explained it, but in terms of at what point in the process of spe speaking with him, watching cuts, like when does that light bulb go off? I get a video of the picture and I live with that. And, you know, I, I, I'll even play music against it just, just to see what happens. I, I really get into the film and, and what works, even, you know, using like little temp tracks uh, from existing music, you know, just to get a feel for it. But I knew Walter sat down and he, and he said, you know, this is gangs, New York, young people. I want it to be surreal, have a surreal quality. To his credit, he didn't tell me what to do, but he certainly told me the ambiance, the musical environment he was looking for. And in, in a strange way, he helped me with the main title in this respect. I had this main title conceived, and Walter was insistent that, you know, on that subway ride, mm -hmm. that they have dialogue. Now, for, for a composer with a bombastic main title in mind, for suddenly dialogue to come in periodically, you know, yeah, was devastating. Because how, how do you do that? You know, because <laughs> you got to make way for the dialogue. And if you have this driving sucker, how do you do that? <laughs> so I said, Walter, please, man, 
let me just play the theme. It'll open the picture great, but I can't do it with the dialogue in there. It's just going to chop it to pieces. And he insisted. He said, Barry, you got to find a way because I, I, I want that dialogue in that opening title. Yeah. So I said, well, okay. So in the end, it worked great because what I did is I just did a dropout. You know, it was pounding, 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 and then and then I, boom, you know, just a dropout, and then this, this thing would still keep going through it, but, you know, the rest of the rhythm was out, and this electricity excitement was still running through it, got the dialogue in, and then, bam! You had the impact of dropping back into the score, and I would change key. I would, you know, I'd use those intervals to jump back into the theme, and it turned out to make the main title very interesting, more interesting than if it had just driven through the whole main title. Sure. Because it gave you gave you those dynamics. Yeah. And, and gave me a way for, you know, the dialogue, boom, 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 they're talking, talking, and now these kids punching their way through the turnstiles and it, bam, you know, it drops in the, and the, and the guitar is hit. It gave the main title a dynamic that it would have never had, had Walter not stuck to his guns and made me do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was actually going to bring up that section, that kind of montage for the opening titles. My day job is as a, is, is, is an editor. So when I watch that scene, I mean, I think that's one of the, you know, I would show if I taught a class on editing, I would show that scene in editing because it's such a beautifully constructed airtight sequence with the music and the cutting. And so, you know, you kind of answered it for the most part. I mean, one of my big questions was like, did you provide music and they edited to it or did they have the sequence and you wrote to it? I wrote to it. Yeah. See, I knew where the dialogue was coming in, where I had to be out, where I had to be back in. Yeah, because it's absolutely, uh, like I said, it's like, it's like textbook brilliance in terms of editing. The idea of almost flashing back in the sequence to hearing their discussion before they get on the train, intercut with all the other gangs, like you said, coming on the turnstiles, and then the way you back off the music to make like you said, breathing room for that stuff. It's just, it's one of my favorite things about that movie is that sequence. Yeah, thank you. And I love how even before that kicks in, we start with the Wonder Wheel and just that kind of eerie, repetitive synth thing going on underneath that just kind of sets this like really eerie mood. So that when we break into this montage where what your music does brilliantly is create momentum, flinging us into this film through the subway tunnels. It's such a great juxtaposition. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. They did a video game called The Warriors. Yeah, I've played it. <laughs> and they, in you know, and you know, these guys that did video games at the time, they didn't want to spend any money on music. But they had to have the original score, which I kind of thought was cool that they wanted 
something I had done 30 years earlier. They still felt it was relevant, you know? Yeah. And they wanted it in the video game. And so that was kind of cool. And they paid me quite well for that. That certainly doesn't uh, hurt. One of the things I think draws me to that score, you know, this show is kind of under the guise of horror movie composers, though, as I'm sure you've realized already, it's, it's not really about that. It's about you guys. And above all, the other composers, you're probably one that is probably less known as a quote-unquote horror movie composer. But one of the things I love about the Warrior score is a lot of the cues in this film you could easily put into a horror film and they would work brilliantly. And it just helps create this really dark and eerie atmosphere Uh, I also love the cue when they get off the subway at Coney Island at the end of the film. Do you recall when you were working on a film like this, you know, this is, we're talking about the late seventies now. So you're not working with digital editing or anything like that. You know, you said you're working with videotapes and this music still being cut on tape on a flatbed editing machine. When you're watching the tapes, you said you sometimes play music against it. Is your process kind of an improvisational process? Like when you see something like this scene where they finally make it home and the first inclination is like this is what we're fighting to come back to you know it's such like a melancholy sentiment do you sit there and you improvise against it or do you kind of hear melodies when you're watching it and then kind of dictate it in a certain way no i i think the reason i try pieces of music against it is, is to get a, a direction you know seems to work just to I, maybe it's just to even jump start the creative juices you know rather than look at a film and especially if it if it if it's one like this it's really hard to visualize yeah what you're going to do because once again it's so rhythm oriented and with the sense so it isn't as if you're looking at a scene where you have the opportunity to write a beautiful melody against it. It's attitude. So sometimes I play things against it just to get attitude. What should the attitude be against the scene? And once I say, yeah, something like that would work, then you uh, you sit down and, and compose something of your own. Mm-hmm. But at least you have a, a shape, a direction to go in. So in a way, you were kind of, not in so many words, but in, in, a, in a very uh, simple way, like you were almost temp scoring it yourself to a certain extent. You're saying you're using other pieces of music just to see what works rhythmically, you know, tempo-wise and stuff like that. You know, in a funny way, what has saved me is if you come from the music business, the record business, you know, what is, what is a hit record? What, what is a hit song? It's something that moves you emotionally, whether it's a ballad or a rocker or whatever it is, it touches you emotionally. You want to hear it again. 
you want to dance to it, you want to dream to it, whatever it is. That's what a hit is. It's never how well it's done or how well it's sung. It's does it touch you emotionally? Well, I found using that in films was invaluable because if if I played something against that film and it touched me emotionally, I knew I was on the right track. And so sometimes doing my own little temp thing just helped me. Did I emotionally react to this against the film? If I didn't, I said, well, then I know that direction can't be right. But sometimes I'd find something, hey, yeah, something in this kind of feel would work. And then when I started doing my own music, then that was the acid test. I would record something and I'd, I'd play it. You know, it wouldn't be 100% in sync, but I'd play it against the scene. And if it emotionally grabbed me, I knew it was right. Yeah. There are friends of mine, and, and uh, this podcast stems from a book that I wrote where I interviewed composers. And I've come to realize now that I've been in this world for a while that there are, you know, there are gearheads out there that are very curious to know, especially when it comes to synthesizers, like what kind of stuff was being used. It was a long time ago, but do you recall what equipment you had when you did the Warriors? Oh, my God. As I recall, it was a Yamaha. CS60, maybe? Yeah, CS60 and CS80. And uh, and I think a Prophet 5. I might have had a little bit of Moog in there, but that was about it. Yeah. Uh, at that time, it was pretty limited, your choices of electronic music. Yeah. Uh, and do you perform on it, or do you bring in musicians to play? Well... You know, I, I'm a keyboard player, so uh, I would uh, I play some of the parts. But uh, for the most part, you know, when it came time to do the sessions, I'd always hire a keyboard player. But if I created uh, some of it in my home studio, which I did with the Warriors, then I would play the keyboard parts. But then, you know, I, I brought that into the studio and we added to it. Sure. So. And what was the writing process like working with Joe Walsh on the end title song in the city? Joe was a friend, and he lived here in Montecito at the time. You know, I just called him up and said, Hey, Joe, I'm, I'm doing this movie. How would you like to write the end title with me? I thought, you know, he would be a, a perfect choice. And he said, Sure. So that's it. You know, he, he just lived up the hill from me. He came down. He'd have his guitar out. I'd be on the keyboards. And, you know, we were friends, and we were really easy with each other, and that's how it happens. You know, we wrote it. So, I mean, like you guys just jam on stuff until something comes about. Uh, does one of you write the lyrics or do you both write the lyrics? Well, Joe writes both, as do I, uh, music and lyrics. Uh, and so it kind of 
came out of us, you know, just the way, the same way when you get together with somebody to write a song, you know, it, you fool around, you hit some grooves, you see what comes, sometimes it doesn't come, you take a break and have a cup of coffee, you come back, you try it again, and then, then you get on some, you know, and uh, certainly the ch-ch-ch-chong-chong. Uh, Joe, you know, yeah. of course, that's something only a guitar player could come up with. And you know, probably, in 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 fairness, I probably had a little more to do with the lyrics. Uh, but he certainly uh, wrote lyrics for the song. It's just you know, when you write a song, who's counting? You know, yeah, you're yeah. writing a song together. Sometimes a guy has more to do with this or more to do with that. But it was just a, a really nice experience. And uh, when we went in the studio, you know, we had just the A players of all time. And, you know, it, it was a great experience uh, recording with Joe. I had never recorded with him before this. We'd just been friends. And then afterwards, I thought something was missing. So I got these um, background singers, black background singers, to come in and sing these parts that I had in my mind. called Joe apologetically because I know black background singers was not exactly part of his music at the time. And I said, Joe, listen, I, I really feel they add something, but I'm going to send it over to you. And if you don't like it, I'll, I'll pull them out. So I recorded it, added them, sent him the recording. And he said, yeah, man, I like it. I said, okay, great. And, um, uh, that's what we did. The wonderful ending to this story, as you probably know, is one day Joe is tells me, you know, Barry, uh, the Eagles are thinking about doing this song on the follow-up album from Hotel California. I mean, the world was waiting for that follow-up <laughs> album. And he says, yeah, we're thinking of doing it. And I said, Joe, I want you to do me a favor. Never bring this up again until you can walk into my house with that song on the album. Because if I let myself believe it's going to be done and it doesn't make the cut, I will kill myself. Because it's true. You know, they go in with a bunch of songs and a lot of them don't make the cut. Sure. Anyway, one day, he rang the bell at my front gates, walked in, he says, I got something you, I want you to hear. And it was on that album. And... Uh, that was the rest is history. <laughs> well, you know, about twelve million albums later or more, it was just uh, an honor. Yeah, to be one of the few writers associated with the Eagles. Sure. Before I let you go, there's two more scores I would love to kind of pick your brain regarding. Uh, the first would be Night of the Creeps. been said that Fred Decker is coming from a love for orchestral film music, and obviously this was a film 
that probably budgetarily would not be able to sustain an orchestral score. So, but he talks about like bringing Jerry Goldsmith's cues and stuff and playing them for you. First, how did you come to work on Night of the Creeps? And then what was it like working with Fred Decker in those initial meetings? You know, I, I don't remember how that happened. <laughs> uh, I really don't. I enjoyed working with Fred. He was a, a good guy. And, you know, I, that picture to me was just fun. You know, it was like scary fun. And uh, as I recall, that's the way I approached it. I'm trying to, that was quite a while ago. I, I just remember having a, a, a really nice working relationship with Fred. And uh, it was something new for me. I was a little uncomfortable with it because I, I hadn't done anything in that genre. But but uh, I just recall trying to do a score with kind of a sense of humor. Sure. You know, play a horror film, but have some fun with it and still not take away from the scary aspects. And uh, I try to walk that line. I, I hope I did. Well, I think for me, what works really great about this score is, you know, you're saying you wanted to kind of keep it light because clearly this is a film that's very tongue in cheek. But at the same time, you could have gone much further into like a comedic direction and really kind of ruined this film with music. So there was, you know, there's a lot of pressure that, you know, I get that you're trying to go with like a lighter side, but there, there is a much lighter side that wouldn't have worked. So I think what worked for me, what works brilliantly about your score is that it rides that line very well in terms of it takes the film seriously, but at the same time, it kind of recognizes that this is in a lot of ways, silly. <laughs> well, you, I think you said it better than I did. Yeah. You, it was, you had to have a, a light touch at times, but, you know, when the scary little things were happening, you had to play that. Otherwise, why are you watching the movie? You know, you got you got to believe that they are threatening and that terrible things are happening. So you, you, you're right. You have to walk that line of uh, keeping a bizarre, that's it, a bizarre sense of humor. Yeah. And playing the, the horror. A very familiar sound from that film that people would recognize and, and remember is the sound of the alien slug things. Right. Now, one would assume that that would be like a sound designer or something, but it's my understanding that you made those sounds with the synth? Mm-hmm. How does the process come about where you're, <laughs> you're trying to find basically in a lot of ways what's the voice of the antagonist of the film is these little things? Uh, how long does it take to to find the right sound for that? It takes as long as it takes. You know, you just keep, once again, trying things and looking at that film and seeing what does it for you. You know, it's it's not something you can sit down and orchestrate. So you have to uh, just keep experimenting and trying, you know, uh, until you get a sound and a texture that works. In terms of the score itself, we have the, we were just talking about riding the line of the suspense and the horror of it, but also this bizarre sense of humor, as you kind of put it. But there's also some very poignant moments to the film, and you have this running love theme. (laughs) 
and we have the moment of when our main character, I think his name's Chris, he's listening to the tape that his best friend JC had made as his goodbye. Do you recall writing those cues and and creatively, like how you work on something like that? We, you've said several times that like melody is a big thing, and for you as a composer, I was just wondering if you have any kind of stories or recollections of writing those more melodic cues for this movie. Well, you know, it's you come back to what I said earlier. Uh, my approach. To these type of melodic or poignant cues was just to look at the scene and sit at the piano and try to write the best melody I could that would enhance that scene. And that process, if you know, if you're a songwriter, you understand you just don't sit down, even though you're a musician, and knock it out. Once again, the muse has to give it to you. If you want it to have significance, emotional significance. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is if you're a musician and someone says, look, you've got 10 minutes to write a melody, well, you can sit down and write a melody. But if someone says, I need a melody that is going to have an emotional effect when someone hears it, you're not in control of that. You have to sit there until that happens. So if I have a, a poignant scene in a film, and it needs that kind of melody, then I have to just keep trying until it, it happens. And when that melody comes, it almost always works against the scene. Yeah. It seems like I'm asking you to repeat yourself a lot, and for that I apologize. I mean, I guess I'm getting at, when we were talking earlier about uh, Cotton's dream, you had a very specific way of constructing that. You talked about how you were working with the rest of everything else you had written and you wanted to create unity, even though you were going to be writing another piece of music. And maybe in the case of you know, Night of the Creeps, it's a very different kind of film and it's a very different kind of score. So I guess I'm just kind of trying to chip away at creative process because well, most of the people that listen to a show like this or, or read a book like mine aren't necessarily musicians. And we're just looking for a peek into the creative process. So what you're saying is for you, it's a lot of trial and error, basically. I don't know if I'd call it trial and error. I, I, I would call it you know, everyone has a different style. I'm sure when John Williams looks at a score, he looks at it from a, a different perspective than I do. And he paints his colors and his pictures in a very different way. And just as impressive, I might add, you know, it's just different. My approach was, once again, you know, if it's rock and roll, it was rock and roll. Whether it's SWAT or the Warriors, I was going for a very contemporary approach. When you come to Bless the Beast and Children, I was going for a more melodic, innocent young approach that did not have a lot of rock and roll to it. It was just beautiful and naive to play those young, naive, well-meaning kids. With Night of the Creeps, it was 
a horror movie trying to play the the little squigglies and and the horror, keeping this bizarre sense of humor in there, but not letting it take away from the scariness. And when you needed something poignant, I just leaned on my uh, on my melodic abilities because if you have a poignant scene, nothing sells it better than melody. And once you have that melody, then you decide how you want to present it. It could be with a full orchestra. It could just be with a, a piano and a, and a cello. It could be, you know, you have to decide how you should play that scene, you know, how you should interpret that melody. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's my, you know, if I were to sum up, believe me, you know, I would never classify myself uh, among the exceptional composers for film. And I, and I, I know that, and I, I don't have a problem with that. But I had my own style, and uh, my style was uh, very uh, gut style. You know, I, I let my emotions, my gut tell me what was right and what worked. And what didn't? On the other end of the spectrum, there's this kind of great 80s tongue-in-cheek, you know, montage of people getting ready for a prom. And so you wrote like a very contemporary pop piece of music for it. Were you at that point still listening to uh, the pop music of the day or is it just because the equipment kind of dictates the sound at that point no i i i've never stopped loving pop music to this day uh i listen to it and i'm familiar not with all of it or certainly not as, as involved as i used to be but i i love music and i've always loved all kinds of music you know i i love country music i i Jazz, rock and roll, pop. If something works for me, it works. I've just enjoyed music. And that's probably helped me, you know, cover that spectrum, you know, from the Warriors and SWAT to Nadia's theme and Bless the Beast and Children. They're at opposite sides of the spectrum. But I, I, I love both sides and I feel comfortable in both. So that's work for me. Yeah. It's just work for me. The only thing I, I, I wish that I, I'd had more of a formal education it would certainly have been more helpful in my composing for film. Sure. Before I let you go, I would love to talk about Exorcist Three. It's a film that I really enjoy, and I think your score is really interesting for it. But before we dive into the musical aspect of it, you had worked with William Peter Blatty before on The Ninth Configuration. How and when did you first meet William Peter Blatty? Oh, we, we met in L.A., and, uh, and he was doing a movie called John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, or something like that based on a novel of his. And uh, 
we were dating the same bunch of dancers. <laughs> and so we, we became friends and kind of hung out. And um, in, in fact, he brought me in to meet with Billy Friedkin for the original Exorcist. And uh, Friedkin had other ideas. He, he wasn't particularly interested. <laughs> and he was calling the shots. He was the director. And, you know, I, I had a, a really interesting concept for that movie. I, I just wanted to do it all with voices and treated voices and strange sounds. Yeah. You're talking about The Exorcist 3. Well, no, I was talking about the original. But I. That's what you wanted to do with the original one. Yeah. And, and I just kind of briefly, I mean, I, I talked to Freakin two minutes and then he was gone. I tried to get that across. But he went with um, Lalo Schifrin and then threw his, Lalo's score out and wound up uh, scoring it with uh, records, tubular bells and things like that. But once again, here's my point. He found a pop record that worked, you know? Yeah. Tubular bells. So that that was that. And then for Exorcist Three. You know, I had an opportunity to try some of the things I wanted to try on on the original. So you, when you went in to meet with uh, Friedkin on Blatty's recommendation, had you read the Exorcist novel? Oh, sure. And so you had already started to, in your head, construct of like, I think this would be really interesting if I get this job. Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved the novel. It was number one in the nation. Oh, Jesus, I wanted to do that movie so bad. But, you know, remember, Bill was a writer, and this the only reason he was producing it is because that was part of the deal. But Friedkin was in control. Friedkin was the hot new director, and Friedkin was calling the shots on the music and what have you. Sure, yeah. So Bill said, I'd like you to meet my friend, but there was only so much Bill could do. But you got to work with Blatty on Ninth Configuration, which I think is a fascinating film and a, a, a really great score. Flashing forward 10 years or so, he, he approaches you now that he's going to be helming a quote-unquote exorcist film, even though it's, you know, it's based on Legion. And so now finally you get to work with him again and you get to maybe explore some of the ideas that you were uh, kind of thinking about for the original film. Mm -hmm. What was your process working with Blatty as a director? You know, was he hands-on? How much freedom did he give you? What were the initial discussions about how I want this to feel? Well, no, he was he was hands-on, but he also certainly was good about trusting me and giving me my head. He was a dear friend, and all I wanted to do was to make him happy. And he had confidence in me, and uh, working with him was such a pleasure. It was challenging to some degree only because Bill is a writer and he does love his dialogue. And if there's a lot of dialogue and you want to really be scary, it's a challenge because something has to give. Either either the score has to be pulled way back so you can get the dialogue out 
or you lose the dialogue in the score. And so it was a little challenging because there were some scary scenes and, and boy, sometimes what was happening on the screen and the music, you know, was really there in your face. It was, it would have been very scary. But then in this particular case, the way it worked on the Warriors, you know, giving me a, a dropout, and it doesn't work that way with this kind of horror scoring. Sure. You, you just don't stop something uh, in the middle of what's happening to make room for the dialogue. So it was a challenge, but it worked out. I, I was, I, I love working with him. I love doing the score. I wish the movie had done better. So. Yeah, it's a shame because I think it's a film, you know, there are a lot of films in general, but I, I find, especially in the horror genre, there are a lot of films that sadly don't find their audience until much after its original release. And I think this one is certainly one of those films. There's a lot of love for this movie now, and it's a shame that it didn't do as well then. You talked about this idea of using voices, and this was something that you know, you had come up with if you were going to do the original Exorcist and something that you got to kind of execute in The Exorcist 3. Where did that idea come from? Why voices? Well, I just thought the book and the approach was, I said, what, what if you don't, don't use the cellos and the orchestra to play the horror and the, and the scariness and the supernatural and the stuff that we don't understand that we fear the most. I thought to myself, what if I used electronic music and voices? To do what the cellos or strings reads might do and if i treated that you know it would be something people aren't used to hearing in the horror genre and it would just be different and maybe scarier than hearing an orchestra now it was experimental i think you know looking back i could have done an even better job you know it was just something new to me it was a concept that i would have loved to develop a little more so I look back and some of it really worked well and some of it I wish I could do again. Sure. Conceptually, I think it's kind of a brilliant idea for this movie in that if we take, for instance, probably the most famous example would be John Williams's score for Jaws, this idea of that motif. You know, because we very rarely see the shark and we really don't see the shark until much later it's the way of cueing the audience into knowing that the danger is lurking and we have examples that less popular films like uh, there's a italian band called goblin and they did a score for an italian film called suspiria where they used a lot of voices idea that that movie is about witches and the idea was like using voices in that film was even when we didn't see the witches it was creating this atmosphere of that the witches are always there and i think it's doubtful that that inspired you but i think 
instinctually your idea to use voices in this film where not only is there's like this demonic presence, but also this idea of within the Gemini killer, Damien character, there's all these spirits warring. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, what works so great is this idea of your score being so rooted in voices. It's constantly reminding the audiences that we're surrounded by the danger. And these spirits and the demon presence. Was that all that instinctual to you or was some of that maybe a conscious decision? No, that, well, probably a little bit of both. I really got into the book and, well, for for the first one, I didn't see the film. I just read the book, but certainly I saw the film for three. And you're you're right. Uh, I just, you know, soul damned the the dark the evil the the good you know but, but it's it's all based on people demons and with deep religious you know tones and i said well you you could do this with an orchestra you could and and, and in fairness it would probably work okay but what if you could do it with just some instrumentation, but mostly voices and and chants and uh, treating voices so that they go from human to subhuman? That was the, the concept. And uh, as I said, it was something new, something that I was really experimenting with. I'll bet you if I've, I had done a second picture with that concept, it would have been even more impressive because I, I, I kind of, I was getting the hang of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. On three. Well, for instance, obviously it varies with every film and every budget and every schedule, but you take a film like that. I mean, typically, normal circumstances, a composer doesn't have a whole lot of time. Certainly, usually not enough. Sometimes if it's a lot, it's too much. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But with The Exorcist Three, like, what was the period of time? How much time did you actually have to do this experimentation and, and deliver a finished product? As I recall, I had a reasonable amount of time. I can't, I can't complain. Here, I, I knew what I was trying to do. Now all I had to do is try to execute it. So that helped. But I, as, as I recall, I had an appropriate amount of time to, to try to get it done. But still, when you're trying to forge new territory, <laughs> you know, like you said, if you have, were able to do that concept again, you know, you would have already kind of done the legwork, so you would have been able to explore it further. Yeah, I still think it's a place that somebody could be very creative. You know, once again, everyone has heard rock and roll, they've heard orchestral scores. How about something really chilling and eerie and strange using human voices and the technology that we have today to distort and color them. Someday somebody's going to do an amazing score along those lines. Sure. I mean, I find it to be an interesting score in your catalog in that 
We've talked so much about melody and rhythm, but yet this score is atmosphere. I mean, it's really just about creating this soundscape of dread and fear. When most of your scores and kind of your mentality is so rooted in this other aspect of music writing and film scoring, you're saying it was a new concept for you to do this kind of film. I was just wondering, can you talk a little bit about the idea of, in a way, abandoning those other things that you've kind of uh, were your strengths and things that you relied on to do something that was maybe outside your comfort zone, but yet probably what's best for the picture of creating just something that's just really atmospheric for the most part. Well, I, I quite honestly, I look forward to it. Listen, nobody makes it in the, in the record business and music business by doing what's happening. What's happening is already happening. So you have to maybe be influenced by that, but you've got to find a way to be a little bit different, to maybe do something a little bit outside the box, something new, something fresh, something that can be your own. That's Gosh, I've, if I could have some of the time back trying to chase a hit and do something like it, you know, it doesn't work. You know, it's got to, you can be influenced by what's happening, but it's got to be your own. It's got to be different. And so this presented an interesting challenge to me to step out of my comfort zone to deal with trying to use voices, human voices, in a, in a more uh, in an orchestral, uh, atmospheric way. And yeah, it was definitely out of my comfort zone. But I had a, a great time trying. But I'm brutally honest. I, I think I accomplished it. In a lot of ways, and in a lot of ways, I would love to have another pass at it. Yeah. It seems like you've pretty much retired from writing this kind of music. Was there a reason for that? Oh, yeah. I got involved in a software company with my son and just took so much of my time. I just let the music go, and I'm kind of sorry about that. But what you do, you do. Yeah. Is that uh, Master Writer, or is that something else? Yeah, Master Writer. What is Master Writer exactly? I mean, is this something that you would want to talk about and promote? Oh yeah, it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful software program for songwriters, for creative writers, for novelists, for screenwriters, for speakers, for for anybody that writes or communicates. It's just a, an amazing collection of reference and features that that you know make this reference instantly available and uh, allows you to collect just by double clicking collect a number of choices when you're looking for that significant descriptive word you know when you're trying to say something in a in a more colorful creative way oh, I see. it's just a great toolbox for writers of every kind say i was writing a song and i'm writing lyrics is it something that I'm having trouble and I go to it for help or do I write lyrics within it and then use the tools to kind of help enhance it? Well, yeah, we have a word processor, a text editor in the program. So you would, you know, you'd write your lyrics and we have an audio page. So you get your melodies down, 
because when you're writing a melody, if, if you don't get it down somehow, you can forget it in the next minute. Sure, yeah. So if you're writing a lyric, you're writing a lyric, and then this melody comes to you, you just hit the record button and you record the melody, and it's all under that song title. And then, you know, when you when you need a, a particular rhyme, you feed that word in. Like if you're looking for a rhyme with night, you put night in, and it gives you all the rhymes, the perfect rhymes for night. And then if you want a close rhyme, it gives you the close rhymes and the wider rhymes. And it allows you to search by syllable. In the same thing, it'll show you every phrase that contains the word night. It'll show you every phrase that ends in a word that will rhyme with night. It just gives you, you know, all these uh, different instant things. And when you're looking at these choices, you see, normally when you look at something, yeah, that might work. Well, now what do you do with it? Well, you either write it down and then try to make it work. But what if it doesn't work? Well, then you've got to go back again and look. With my program, you can be looking at possible choices. And every time you see a word that might work, you just double click it. And you can collect as many entries as you wish from every dictionary. Hmm. Then go back to your song and look at what you've collected. And it appears right next to the lyrics. So now you can you have a, a, a variety of choices to work with. And so it, it's an efficient way to write because distraction is the greatest enemy of creativity. So when you're focused on what you're writing and you have that connection, you want to keep that. And so if you get stuck, because the, the Rolodex of the mind is very limited, you know, so if, if you're looking for a rhyme for night or you're looking for another word to replace extraordinary, you know, that Rolodex is going to be limited to the words you use in your everyday conversation. So why not use that brain to create and say, uh, what's another word for extraordinary? You just put that in, bang. <laughs> I'll show you so many ways to say extraordinary. Or I'll show you so many rhymes or close rhymes for night. You know, so it's just it has all that good stuff if you're a writer or a songwriter or a speaker. And, uh, you know, it's a very popular software. And this is available online. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, as we wrap up, are you considering doing more? Are you looking for work? <laughs> no. <laughs> But I tell you what I do want to do. I'm, I'm thinking about maybe selling my company. And I want to get up in the morning with a cup of coffee and go back to the music. And I don't care if anything happens. Yeah. I just want, I miss the music. Yeah. Since you came to uh, film music making from kind of an interesting, you know, your, your road was an interesting one compared to, uh, or at least an atypical one from some of the other composers. Do you have any advice for people that are maybe looking to get into this now, even though obviously you got in at a much different time, but still fundamentally, obviously you've 
already given great advice throughout this entire discussion, whether it's stick to your guns in terms of uh, your art, if you believe that this is the way it should be, really push for it, you know, all these kinds of things. Is there anything that you can think of that maybe we didn't talk about that is one word of wisdom that you might be able to give somebody that's interested in this or even just music in general? Well, I think this is a great time. There's a lot of films being made and a lot of really good pieces, thanks to cable. I mean, my goodness, what's, what's happening on cable, are, there are many features, feature films. You know, they're really quality stuff. So there's a lot happening. My advice would be, don't do what I did. You know, really get that musical education and understanding of orchestrations and, and the background so that you, you have those, even if you don't do them, even if you leave the the drudgery of orchestrating to an orchestrator, you have that understanding. And then really take it seriously. Look at a film and understand that you're not just putting something there behind the scene. You want to put music that will contribute to that scene. And you've got to just watch what others are doing, other composers that you admire. Listen to how they're approaching it and learn from it. There's no greater teacher than listening to composers who you admire how they treat film, you know? And just all that stuff mixed in with the divorce on theory, trust your gut. Whatever you're doing, it better move you emotionally. Yeah. If what you're putting against that picture moves you emotionally, you have a chance that it will move the director, the producer, and the people that are going to see that film. Absolutely. Barry, this was an absolute thrill for me. You're such a wealth of information, and I'm glad that we could just tap your brain for even this little amount of time to hear your stories and what you have to say. I thank you so much. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time as well. And uh, for being a fan at my age and stage, I need all the fans I can get. (laughs) Well, you have many. I think you might be surprised at how many you have. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I need to thank Barry DeVorzon for lending so much of his time and knowledge to the show. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with him about his amazing career, and I feel very lucky to have been given the opportunity. To learn more about Barry's songwriting and creative writing software, MasterWriter, go to masterwriter.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, the book, Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other places you buy books. Or you can order a signed copy from me directly. Just contact me through scoredtodeath.com. You can also find and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scored to Death. Scored to Death, the podcast, is now available on most podcast apps and distribution sites. Please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes or on whichever provider you use to listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews will help the podcast get recommended to potential listeners and raise awareness for the show. My other podcast, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, and most places you find podcasts and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Sat Sleepovers. And I should note that the short clips of music used in this episode were used strictly to put aspects of the interview into context, to audibly illustrate specific things discussed, and for educational purposes. The soundtracks discussed on this episode were The Warriors is available on CD from La La Land Records and A&M Records, and on vinyl LP from Waxwork Records. And Night of the Creeps is available on CD from La La Land Records. 
Sadly, Barry's score for The Exorcist 3 has yet to be commercially released. Thank you so much for listening to Scored to Death, the podcast. Please come back in two weeks for another in-depth conversation with one of horror's greatest composers. Mm -hmm.